We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast presented by the Booth Brewing Follow Your Fun. We're back after the big game, the 121st edition of the big game um, held in Berkeley, California after a two-week delay. Uh, But I am here. My name is Rob Huang. I am your host along with my co-host, Andy Johnston. How are you doing, Andy? Doing great. Well, I guess I always mess that up. <laughs> Doing okay. Yeah. Okay in the world of Cal versus Stanford, but great otherwise? Yeah. It was a... Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the game in a little bit, um, but let's talk about just the general feel of what it was, right? Because you and I got to sit in the stands for this one. Uh, we te- we try to keep the big game one of the games that we sit in the stands instead of in the press box. And, yeah, this one was great. Um, looking at, and, you know, just before I, I hand it off to you, attendance was 57,857. Uh, from what I have read, that actually is the highest attendance record for any rivalry game in the Pac-12 this season. So hmm. not like I, I'm not I don't know what it considers a rivalry game. Like, I don't know if it considers Stanford USC a rivalry game, but I think it's regional rivals. So Washington, Stanford, Cal, Washington, Washington State, which Africa, is surprising because uh, the Civil War that game Malibu, meant LA. so much. Yeah. So, yeah, fifty seven thousand eight hundred and fifty seven. And I will hand it off to you for your thoughts of what you felt of just the big game atmosphere leading up to it. Well, yeah, so I think like the stadium attendance was really actually a huge positive, and you saw so many of the uh, players that were and coaches even that have tweeted about it since, and the environment and all that type of stuff. And thank you for coming out, and thank you for for your support. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, and I know it's the big game and it's different, but you know it's it's just great to to see that you know even with a seven and five season, we can really rally the fan base and get them excited and um you know i think that win over usc and the win over colorado i think there were some exciting things to come out and watch this football team and this was a legitimately a chance like a football game that we had a chance to win uh but before we go into that i thought the whole 
game day experience was actually quite different um, than how most big game, you know, how it was anticipated to be. I think we had anticipated arriving around 9.30 in the morning, having a nice long tailgate, going up to the stadium, having all the bobbleheads be gone. And it was the exact opposite of that. It rained all morning. It didn't get to the stadium till late. All the bobbleheads were still there. <laughs> so oh, it was like all the expectations were different than how they played out. And it was a lot less of, uh, it, I think it was just more of the focus was on the game for me. And, and it honestly, like halfway through the first quarter, I was like, wow, we're, like, we're here. This is it. We're in the big game. Uh, and then apparently the Cal team felt similarly because our defense took a, a little bit of a, I don't know, a while to warm up against the Stanford offense, then we totally shut them down. So um, it was cool. It, it was great. It was another big game experience. I always love it. It's a bunch of family, a bunch of friends, and a uh, good time to catch up. How about you? Yeah, I think it was great. I mean, I dropped by our, our usual tailgate, uh, was there for a couple hours. You know, everyone was still out tailgating. The rain came and went, so, like, it wasn't – actually, when I was there at the tailgate, it actually didn't rain at all, so – you know, it was, it was great out. It was a little cloudy, a little cold, but, you know, it's it's a good time. Just uh, just a great way to, to wrap up the year. I mean, who would have thought we were playing a regular season game in December, uh, you know, at least by date, December 1st. So we did, and, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great time. Uh, Kevin Riley, former Cal quarterback, actually stopped by our tailgate. He happened to be, at, I think, a tailgate somewhere around where we usually tailgate. So a couple of the guys before I got there got to got to talk to him and, uh, you know, um, hang out with him. And I think one of the jokes he mentioned was uh, our, our good, one of our good old friends was there talking to him and they were talking about some other Cal quarterback and how unfortunate he was. Um, but Kevin Riley saying, like you feel bad for him, how about you feel bad for me? I thought it's. I think it's nice that like you know, Cal quarterbacks can look back at their career and you know, like they're not upset about it. Like they can have a little bantering fun, um, which is which is great. Um, so you know, that was one interesting little little tidbit that happened. Uh, and then, of course, leading up to it, like the post that we put up earlier last week uh, with the Mike Silver um, hype up post, I think did. I think it got a lot of people excited. It was like 120 something comments. It was the most comments I've gotten on anything I've ever written. I didn't even really write that. I just sent him a bunch of questions that most of the writers wrote. And then um, I added a couple of my own, sent it off to him and he answered whichever ones he wanted. And so we got some great insight out of that. And I think we'll talk about some of his answers probably uh, later on a bit. Excuse me. I'm drinking a LaCroix and getting the burps out of me. Uh, but yeah, um, overall, you know, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, got people, as you said, coaches and players were saying, you know, thank you for that type of atmosphere. I think that my, I easily think that's the loudest that we've seen Memorial be for in quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, it's so much fun when stadium, when the stadium is like that. And you know, what's really funny is, is we talk a lot about, I think this might be helpful to give some perspective on, on sort of where we usually are at in the, in the Bearcast, but we're usually up in the press box. And so as much as you'd like to think you're in the stadium, you're more a witness to the stadium environment. And so you can, you basically say things like, wow, that Go Bears chant was really loud or the stadium's really loud because you can actually understand 
how loud it is from there. But when you're actually, you know, with Nam yelling constantly at the top of your lungs and screaming like with a bunch of friends, it you can't tell as much about how loud it is. The only game at Memorial when I was in the stands that I can definitively say that it was absolutely loud was the Cal Tennessee game because that was the loudest stadium I've ever been in, maybe tied with Autzen. Um, no, I concur with that 07 Tennessee game. I think. I think that was still for me. That's the loudest I've ever heard Memorial. That was insane. So, but it was a lot harder. There were moments when I was like, I think this is loud. But when you're in the box, you can say this is loud. And so it's it's very interesting how you're able to discern the differences much easier up there. Because when we were down there, there's there was one moment. I told my parents this after the game. There was a moment where you know Stanford what they scored the ten points right away and. All, you know, they were driving downfield. The O-line looked good. The K.J. Costello was, you know, basically standing back there with tons of time. It just, it wasn't looking great. Bryce Love was breaking off six to eight yard runs and looking like the running back that everybody, you know, had sort of expected him to be this year before the injuries happened. But then in the second quarter, it sort of shifted and the Cal defense really rose to the occasion, just completely shut down the Stanford offense. And all of a sudden, it just you just felt belief amongst the crowd, and that was when I like had that first moment of like, I think this is pretty loud in here. I just couldn't definitively say like when I, the the same way I could if I was in the box. But that was really fun and in a great part of the entire atmosphere. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at the attendance numbers, you can kind of tell that it, you know, there were quite a bit of people, and you know, it, I think that noon kickoff helped. Uh, granted, I think when the game first started, there weren't a lot of people in the stadium, uh, but everyone kind of trickled in and, you know, by the halfway through the first quarter, you know, it, it was full. Um, and my God, it was great just because it was, it wasn't like one of those like full Ohio state game type fulls where it's like, you know, 45, 50% Ohio state fans. This was like a good 80, 90% Cal fans. And then that little contingent of Stanford fans where the band was uh, on the, on the South end zone. Yeah. So, I thought Stanford attendance was light. I thought it was lighter than Washington. Yeah. I mean, and you and I talked about this when we were at the game and we were like, well, I mean, they can't even fill up their whole stadium. We can't expect them to, to travel for a noon game, uh, you know, across the Bay. So it's funny. Cause the average attendance were like 3000, fans better than them <laughs> I mean prior to this game but uh I feel like yes we definitely can hold that over their heads because I mean they have a better record I won't say it's a better product to watch because I think it's really boring but um yeah yeah I guess we can break into the game a little bit what did, what were your thoughts sure. on uh on the game itself well before I get into my thoughts let me uh go through some of the statistics for you and some of the from the stat book all right Cal takes on Stanford Last regular season game, the day after the Pac-12 championship game, which was extremely boring, but that's another side note and episode of its own. Uh, But the 121st big game, kickoff at noon, Cal drops this one uh, 13 to 23. It was actually a pretty close one. It actually was 13-6 for the majority of the game up until three minutes left in the fourth quarter um, when they scored a 21-yard field goal. And then um, an interception set up a Cameron Scarlett run for three yards for the touchdown. So 
that blew it open to 23-6, and then we score a touchdown with 10 seconds left from Chase Garbers to uh, Jordan Duncan, and that left the score at 23-13. Some team stats for you. Stanford with 16 first downs. Cal with actually 18 first downs. Um, yeah, Cal is actually think, a lot more. I think that 18 is just garbage time first downs. Yeah. That's probably uh, the last two minutes of the game on that drive that got us the touchdown. Yeah, so that's a mis- um, it's a misleading stat. I also yeah, yeah, I heard like a lot of the stats looked more even than because of the last couple of drives that we had. Yeah, taking that into account though, you know, through our first downs, we had eight rushing and nine passing compared to Stanford's ten passing and five rushing. Uh, that was a little that's a little different. I mean, we'll have to go back and look at um, how many first downs happened in that last drive, but. Continuing on, uh, total rushing yards, uh, 155 for Cal, 92 for Stanford. Passing, 197 for Cal, 237 for Stanford. And so on uh, some other ones, uh, third down conversions, Stanford was 6 of 14. Cal was 7 of 18. Cal was also 3 of 3 on fourth down conversions. Stanford did not go for a fourth down the entire game. Red zone chances, Stanford was uh, 4 of 4, scored one touchdown, three field goals. Cal was 2 of 3. Uh, one touchdown and one field goal and one missed field goal. Uh, some individual stats for you. Patrick Laird, 19 carries for 116 yards um, and a long of 62, so an average of 6.1 a carry. Uh, Chase Garbers, uh, 12 carries for 55 yards, gained 11 loss, so a net of 44. And that was it. Uh, in terms of passing, Garbers, 22 of 39, with two interceptions and one touchdown, 197 yards and three sacks. Receiving, Jordan Duncan, five receptions, 59 yards for a touchdown. And then Mo Ways, five receptions, 39 yards, no touchdowns. Our secret weapon, Stephen Coots, five punts, 196 total yards, 39.2 average. Longest was a 54. Two of the five punts landed inside 20. And then Greg Thomas, of course, two field goals made, um, one from 40, one from 24, and then missed the last one from 36 yards with 10 minutes and 50 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Some defensive stats before um, I hand it off to you, Andy, to talk about the game. Uh, Evan Weaver, 15 total tackles, 6 solo, 9 assisted. Jalen Hawkins, 5 total tackles, all solo, with a tackle for loss. Tevin Paul, 4 tackles, 1 sack, 2 tackles for loss. Alex Funches, 3 tackles, 1 sack, and 1 tackle for loss. And also Cameron Bynum, 3 tackles and 2 pass breakups. Tevin Paul with the brutal rough in the quarterback. Uh, yeah, also... A QB hurry. Yeah. All right, so I want to do one quick game with you. Uh, okay. 2017 versus 2018 guest game, because you put me on the spot the last three episodes or something like that. <laughs> uh, so now it is my turn for revenge. So, All right. uh, Patrick Laird, 2017 versus uh, 2018. Which year did he have more yards? And if you can take a sh- guess at his uh, total yard total yardage. I'm going to guess he had more yards in 2018. Yes. Any clues as to uh, by how much? Uh, I'm going to say he was held under 90 yards last year, and he had, what, 116 today. Wait, sorry. You said that he had more yards in 2018? Yes. Incorrect. Oh, okay. <laughs> 2017, he had on uh, 20 rushes, I believe, he had 153 yards for 7.7 uh, yards per rush, and he actually had a touchdown. How? Ooh. Yeah, interesting, right? Interesting. So Ross Bowers, 
versus Chase Garbers. Yard total in regards to throwing the football. Any uh, guesses? <laughs> Chase had – well, I'm looking at it right now. Chase had 197. So let's see, Ross – I think Ross actually might have had more yards. I think Ross probably had over 220. Under. 182. Under. Wow. Okay. All right, and then last one, uh, receiving. Our top receiver this year was Jordan Duncan with five receptions for 59 yards. Uh, do you think that the top receiver from 2017 was over that mark or under that mark? And if you want to take a shot in the dark, guess at who it was. Oh, I'm going to say I'm going to take the – I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to say it was Jordan VC. Hey, nailed it. Nailed it. Woohoo! I see you did so much better than I do. <laughs> uh, I think that's just really interesting. I, I think it's you know hard to just go jump into straight analysis on it, but uh, it is really funny when you look at you know, some of those statistics, how even basically the passing was. Ross had the one interception, so his QB rating was, you know, terrible. Uh, whereas, you know, Garbers was really benefited from the garbage time touchdown. I think, like, his yeah. numbers would look uh, – it's hard. I wouldn't even count the second pick. I guess you could, but we were like – the game was lost at that point. Um, so I'd say, like, his statistics really, if you think about, like, the core of – the big game 2018 like 190 or 100 maybe 80 or so yards and one interception on probably around 19 completions and ross bowers last year 20 completions 182 yards one interception very similar uh performances except that chase has the 55 yards on the ground and i'm not don't want to discount that at all it was huge and that was helped our third down conversion helped us move the football just was you know, we got problems, man. We got problems on offense. But anyways, thought that look would be pretty interesting. And Patrick Laird, biggest difference between last year and this year is that he had a touchdown last year. Um, and we, you know, obviously badly could have used that. Well, yeah, we score a touchdown and we probably win this game. So. Yeah. Yeah. Or if we had scored earlier. Um, all right. I guess I guess I'll start off with my initial thoughts from this game since you played the the guess which one was this year game. Um, <laughs> this was this was weird because you know we didn't it it wasn't that we had a week off leading into this game. It was we played a game last week and then we just changed. We had a bye week earlier, right? We had the second bye week earlier, so I didn't expect us to come out slow either on offense or on defense. Offense is a totally separate issue, but just for the sake of argument, I'm going to say both. Um, but, you know, we came out real slow in the first quarter. It didn't look great for us. They scored 10 points in the first quarter, and, I, and it kind of felt like, oh, God, is it is this going to be one of those games where, like, we maybe got too relaxed because the season was already over. We had already booked – we had already booked the – the full game, and then we already got that seventh win. Like, did the hunger kind of die just a little bit? Like, that, that was my thought in that first quarter. Um, but then, no, of course not. The second half comes around, and we, the defense absolutely shuts them down. You know, if you look at the total total stats for the whole game, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside 
only had five receptions for 109 yards. He did eclipse 100 yards, but the five reception thing I think is huge because if he, I think he could have done a lot more damage. But that first quarter made it look like he was probably going to rip off like 15 or or 15 or 16, you know, receptions for the game. But we locked him down. Cam and the DBs did a fantastic job on him, um, and you know, just they they played the whole bend not break in terms of the pass game. Like they made sure. That, all right, if you're going to win some battles against us, but on the downs that count, we're going to try and make sure that you don't get a shot at anything. Um, so I think in that sense, the defense did an amazing job adjusting throughout the whole game. I believe total offense-wise in the second half, the defense only allowed 99 yards total in the second half, which is mind-blowing to me uh, to be able to make that adjustment. So from that standpoint great um flip to the offense oh boy oh boy oh boy do we have a lot of questions um we try we used malik mcmorris more times in this game than we've used total like the last two years so but that fumble that malik cost in the very beginning of the game that one hurt big time um because it felt like that drive had gotten just some momentum Jeremiah Hawkins dropping what would have been easily like a 25, 30-yard um, catch who was wide open. And that I, I think that was Chase Garbers' best throw on the day. And it just goes through his hands, hits him in the numbers, and it drops. And that could have sustained the drive. But that one flops. Um, and then a couple of Mo Ways drops as well to to move down the field. I mean, there's just there's just something not right with the offense. Something's not in sync. And, of course, some people are going to say, well, what have you been watching all year? But, I mean, it, I think it, it totally for the big game in its entirety, this is the game that kind of showed, like, holy crap, we have so many issues. And it feels like every single player on the offense has slowly, slowly, like, been – deprived of confidence up until this point because of how the offense has been playing. And it's gotten to the point where it's just like, what can we do? Like there's just no matter what we try and what we do, we just can't move the ball and we just can't score. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So that, those are, I'll, those are my th- initial thoughts and I'll hand it over to you. So on the offense thing, I, I agree on the whole, um, I, I think that there was some feeling that the big game, end of the year, last game of the season, like really like nothing on the line, right? We're going to go to a bowl game regardless. It, the game mattered because of the rivalry. Take away the rivalry, this game was super mean, meaningless in regards to how it impacts, you know, outside of which bowl you go to and so on and so forth. Um, and so I think there was some feeling that what we would see this week would be wrinkles of the offense and you know oh look maybe we try more of a trick play or maybe we would do something that'd be a little bit different and uh because hey like there really wasn't you know kind of playing with house money ish except for the fact that it was you know the big rivalry game obviously we wanted to win and i just don't think we saw much of that we did see some smaller wrinkles i think chris brown saw a lot of a lot more snaps than he's seen in the last couple of games uh malik had a couple plays like i didn't 
Like, I understand the fumble. The fumble hurt, but I think you could maybe pinpoint some bigger plays specifically. Like, I thought the overthrow on the Jordan Duncan, like, almost, you know, he almost tried to Odell that, I think you said in the stands, where he was open, um, and just the ball is a little high, and he's, like, open in the end zone. It was just just a one-touchdown difference. Then you have the play with Mo Ways going deep. It's like Garbers puts the ball seven yards in. Mo Ways is on the outside. The Stanford DB makes one of the better catches I've seen. Whether or not it was a catch was apparently super debatable. You know, we didn't have the the pervy or the ability to actually, you know, know that. But after the fact, reading, obviously, a biased comments from our fans, but trusting that our fans know what they're talking about, you know, uh, sounded like that wasn't by any means a definitive interception and possibly could have been overturned. So I thought that was a, was a huge play. Uh, I thought, obviously, like, just the... I mean, get the defense giving us the ball at, like, the 23-yard line of Stanford on a fumble with Bryce Love. Oh, come on, man. Like, gold running backs never fumble. And we get the ball, and I'm like, okay, we're going to score here. We're going to get the touchdown. And then it's just, like, you know, super fast. We don't even get a first down. It's like, okay, we throw Greg Thomas out there, and he, you know, pushes and misses the field goal. So just, like, really frustrating. Um, but the whole point that I was trying to make is, like, we didn't really see any of that. I think there was some expectation. We didn't see any of that. So there's some frustration uh, in that, you know, the offense still looks so vanilla. And I totally agree. I, it's really hard to understand. It's not that hard to understand the output that we saw on Saturday if you think about the season as a whole. Because even if you go back to the North Carolina game, we were sitting there being like, wow, this offense has issues. We, if you looked at it by quarter by quarter in the North Carolina game, we basically had lost the, I believe it was like the second quarter and, or maybe it was like the, uh, I can't remember. I mean, it's a while ago. First quarter and then definitely the fourth quarter because the offense just disappeared. And then we kind of saw, you know, we threw a new wrinkle in there with McElwain for the BYU game. So we got a little bit more of an offense, but even against Idaho State, we looked pedestrian, right? It was a struggle for us to get up into the thirties and the forties. We never had that next step that we thought we got to. So as we get here, I mean, we beat Washington freaking 12 to 10. <laughs> it's, like, it's like one of those things where I look at this offense, I'm like, yeah, our offense is that bad. I mean, the statistics do not lie. We've been this bad all year long. We average like it's our points per game. It's just points per drive. It's like 1.8. It's just terrible, 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 terrible offense. And it's hard for me to really understand. Is, is it the players? Is it that, you know, and, like, bless their heart, like, they're student-athletes, and it, it, I know it's really hard to just point at the players, but, like, gotta be honest, like, look at the kind of the receiver side, and, you know, Moe's is a grad transfer, and maybe had three catches in his career at Michigan, and he's, you know, a starting receiver us. We lost Conovine Noah, and the offense has looked so much worse ever since he's gone down. Um, you know, Vic Wharton, who's been basically, like, one of these receivers that it just kind of can get bottled up every single game and disappears on the outside. And I don't think he really blocks that well. Jeremiah Hawkins doesn't speed option, but doesn't have the hands and drops a lot of balls and, you know, is undersized. Is this just one of the tight end? Like where were tight ends? Like where was Ray Hudson um, all game and, and bunting, you know, it just sort of, it is one of these, but these are themes. I mean, we've missed Hudson and bunting. Bunting's had a couple of plays, but Hudson's been MIA all year. Uh, Nico's only in because Conovai is out, and you know he he showed up better before in previous games. So it's not like 
the offense was all that much different from what we've seen, uh, which is, I just think, the disappointing side of it because I think we maybe talked ourselves into expecting a little bit more because it was the big game and it was the last game of the season and, you know, who knows, or, you know, we could throw some unique looks out there. Um, that's my thoughts on it. It's like, yeah, there's, there's definitely issues, 100%. They're super glaring today. I thought they were just as glaring, or sorry, just as glaring uh, yesterday as they were against Colorado and just as glaring as they were against Idaho State, and just as glaring as they were against Washington and USC and, like, and every other team that we've played this year. Um, so I don't think, like, if you put it in the perspective of the season, I actually think the storyline fits pretty well, which is, which is sad. Yeah, I think the thing for me, though, like, I mean, since we're talking about the offense, might as well just talk about the offense. It's, you know, you, you got to see guys that you didn't, see play all season last year or last this or all of this season like prior to last week like you saw Biagio get some burn like you saw you know um McCallie Castles get in there for a play or two um and I it, it seemed like okay maybe since there's only two games left in the season including the bowl game you try and use some of your younger guys and, and get them some snaps to lead into spring football and then to lead back into next season but we totally revert back away from that, and we hand the ball off to our senior running back, who's been, on the most part, extremely ineffective um, over the last couple of weeks. And so we give him 19 carries for 116 yards. But you take away that 62-yarder, and what is he sitting at? He's sitting at 50-something yards on 18 carries. And oh my goodness, like there, you know, it just for me, it just looked like a point of. Why not try anything? Like you're at this point, you know, you're if you started off the game and you know the, the game plan was working and everything was the menu was fine, that's fine. But you're down ten zero in, in the big game and instead of trying to just maybe spark something or get something going by, you know, giving a young guy you know, a couple of runs to the outside or, you know, making McCallan Castles run some routes, you Instead, continually go and run in between the tackles on a read option when your quarterback also is not good at making decisions of when to pull and when to hand off and having him run into a box stacked of seven or eight and not having any running lanes to run through. And the flip side of that is, or not the flip side, but to lead from that is it if that sort of set up a play action play or something that would have made sense but no we didn't get to see any of that it was just constantly just running Patrick Laird hope into a wall hoping that maybe there's a crack in the wall somewhere where you can bust out a long run and he did that he got us 62 yards on a single run but but then I mean that only netted us a field goal so yeah I mean I I agree man I agree I agree I, I, yeah. I fully agree. I think there's a couple areas as I look towards the offense. There's a couple couple points I want to make. So offensive line, I think, uh, who said this? Uh, Nick or maybe Adams or even maybe Nam in the stands mentioned this, that losing uh, Makari and losing Sap, like Safel, uh really hurt on the offensive line. 
and I think that was apparent. We see, we seemed to have been making some level of progress in opening up better holes for Patrick Laird to run through. Um, I think at the at the point of USC, and it just sort of disappeared against Colorado and then Stanford. It just sort of felt like we were maybe you know we didn't have any as many negative plays against Stanford from the O line, but we certainly didn't get any of those positive plays. Uh, and then as far as like, might as well just say it, like Bo Baldwin and as an offensive coordinator, I actually think that Bo Baldwin calls really interesting and unique and in plays that should work. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like they do. Uh, I don't feel like he's someone that's not trying or is like running out of options. And I actually think, you know, it's been rumored that he's been interviewing. And uh, so what I will say with that is that, you know, if, if he does, and I think he will leave, um, because last year he also was interviewing at Oregon State and was, you know, apparently really close. So Well, he I interviewed think, at Arizona last year too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so. I think he will leave. Um, and, and I will not be surprised to see him be successful. I, I just, it's just one of those things. And I, it, it's so much, a lot of people compare it to Andy, Andy Budd and, and that entire situation, but it's so much different for me um, because it just feels like this problem here is so much more solvable. Whereas defense, it just looked like we didn't even know the basics. <laughs> you know, like back in Sonny's first years, it was like we had no idea how to tackle. We had no idea how to like use, like use leverage. Like it just was like we didn't know the basics of defense whereas here it feels like we do understand the basics of how but maybe it's just like system fit is off and uh you know it could just be that you know maybe this is an off maybe this is a program that needs a more of a pro style type of offense i mean we look at what stanford does and we look at what wilcox talks about talks about the tight end and he talks about how to utilize tight end basic stanford basically recruits a boatload of tight ends <laughs> who are very tall and then they just lob it up and you know that's a formula that if you look across the field would be very sex- successful for us this is not an offense that has to be a top 10 offense top 20 offense we don't need to have an air raid element in order to be you know as good as a utah as good as a washington um so personally i think like I kind of look at the entire thing. I don't really place any blame on the offensive coordinator, and I know that's probably not a popular opinion. Uh, I do think that there are some positional coaches where we just haven't seen the progress. I also think that injuries have played a big role. Um, And I also wonder, like, do we really have a quarterback? And I think Garbers, there's plenty of good things that have been said for him, but I also wonder, you know, could we get a freshman in here that could completely jump the entire list of starters um, next spring. So yeah, offense is wide open, plenty of problems, but I also think that we're going to see a change here. And I wouldn't be surprised if we went to more of a pro style system. I actually think it might fit our personnel slightly better. Um, curious if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, personally for me, I think it makes sense to go more towards a pro style offense. Um, but like the play, the devil's advocate on the other side, it's if so okay, so that's the thing, right? Is if Bo Baldwin's system wasn't working to these players, then he should have molded that system to work for these players. And if we're gonna go with the pro style because that fits our personnel better, 
then shouldn't Bo have been recruiting players that fits his system better? Are you following with me on this? I guess, but I think I could yeah. flip it and say, didn't we already do that? Like, didn't we kind of already make those adjustments to fit? And, and like, this kind of circles back on what you said before is like, why not, you know, do something different? Why not, like, you know, throw it out there in regards to the plays we called during the big game? I'd say the perfect example of why not to do that is the Arizona game. And so I feel like the staff maybe did start to flip it and be like, oh, okay, we should play, you know, we should, we got to find that explosive element and so on and so forth. And then as they did, they got these really brutal reminders uh, or lessons handed to them. Like, boom, you're going to get hit with Oregon and then Arizona and then UCLA. And it's like, okay, okay, pump the brakes. We can't afford to do that. And then we go and we have this like super basic, super boring, dumbed down offense that we stuck with and it netted out wins. So I wonder if some of the winning had to do with the, you know, their, let's say like, hesitancy to even try those things out yeah I, I that's a that's a totally valid point um i think the i think the big underlying thing for both of our our views is that this offensive staff has not recruited well yeah. <laughs> like yeah we we have, a doubt. we have we have a total depletion of talent and that's where for me uh, that's that's the big like tipping point for me of whether you know like Baldwin's not on the hot seat officially you know like this is all fan talk um, and you know he if he really has been interviewing for other jobs like that's not because he's on the hot seat it's just you know he's he's a he's a guy who's a former head coach like he wants he probably wants to be a head coach again he's not going to be an offensive coordinator forever um, so but yeah that's the thing for me is recruiting has not netted us any some sort of impact talent on the offensive side of the ball, whether that be a wide receiver, whether that be a tight end and whether that be a running back, we have had a, a total, um, just don't want to thought process of giving any of our young running backs, any sort of option or like any sort of real, snap and play time um and then also at wide receiver like we don't have any young wide receivers like we have nico and we have monroe young who was injured earlier in camp and probably just redshirted the year which is totally understandable but beyond that like we i'm looking at this receiving list of like who caught passes today or at the big game like Duncan is probably Duncan is here, but he's a senior next year. Ways is gone. Patrick Laird's gone. Jeremiah is here, but I mean, as of right now, he's super unreliable. And Vic Wharton's gone. Malik McMorris is gone, and Ray Hudson's gone. So, out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that caught passes in the big game, only three guys will be here. And and then. Beyond our depth chart, our two deep of wide receiver, we have no clue who's going to be playing. Like on the two deep, due to injury and a lack of talent, we had a walk on um, uh, whose last name is Skinner on the two deep, um, and yeah, that's not a recipe for success if we're having to push all our walk ons like into the two deep because 
there are positions where we are certainly lacking talent. And that's like yeah. it's it's weird because on the other on the other side of the ball, it's the exact opposite. Like yeah, the exact like polar opposite. We lose. Like come on, like let's really if you know if we want to play the what if game, if we you know let's say for some god awful reason Cam Bynum wasn't able to play a game or Elijah Hicks wasn't able to play a game, like I have full faith in Josh Drayden playing in that spot. I have full faith in them maybe even burning uh, Chagosi's red shirt and and having him play. Like at linebacker, you have so many guys you could play. At D line, they rotate in so many guys, and you've seen guys grow this year. Like you've seen CU take some steps. You've seen uh, Aaron Maldonado take steps. Um, you've seen Lone take steps. And like they do such a great job of integrating these young guys that can pop and gain experience and grow into next year. But we, for some reason, do not want to touch any of the young guys on the offensive side of the ball, which that's the strange part. I mean, and, and I've argued this point a bunch of times is the coaching staff has always said they want to put guys in the best positions to succeed and the best positions, you know, to to do well. But they're not really even trying to give guys opportunities. So it's 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 so weird how they like how the how the defensive side like rotations and all that works and how the offense and all that works. Like it's it's really interesting uh, to look at. Yeah, and I think when you have something that's so obviously kind of different in that sense it's probably something that will change this offseason i would guess uh, it just feels like it would disalignment in a way uh, yeah and it's one of the i mean there's there's zero help i mean not zero there's minimal help coming right now in the current class we have so well these, yeah we have we have one tight end we have one wide receiver and we have one running back coming yeah, so I think like, so, you know, this week off. I think Wilcox said they're going to take the week off. I hope the coaches are out recruiting again. Um, and you know, Baldwin, to his credit, has been out recruiting some of the guys. And I think we have been good at really good at finding under the radar, you know, talent. Where and I don't want to say under the radar, but like there are three star guys that should probably that play up. You know, there's a lot of the guys in this commit list that I could easily see and point at. Uh, in a couple of years and probably be like, yeah, yeah, three, three star, but he knew he was going to stand out. Like, and I, I do think that's really exciting. It just so happens that a lot of them are on defense. Um, yeah, we need some of that on offense, right? But the exact opposite, like we need known quantity talent, not like diamonds in the rough that we need to refine. Like, I think that's the big thing we're looking for is, you know, if I were to make a recruiting like wish list, for the offense in terms of like player molds, like I would want a ridiculously fast wide receiver. I would want a ridiculously tall wide receiver and I would want a, uh, a back that can probably lead into the future right behind Chris Brown and Biagio and Johnny Adams. So, I mean, that would, I mean, and I think the Carlos Brooks fits that mold for, for running back. And I think we're set there, but you know, the other parts of the offense have, have some big-time question marks. Yeah, I think so. I also think that the the staff's approach on injuries also play a lot into some of our frustration here. It's like we don't get the benefit. Like, Noah is effectively out for the season, right? He might not be out for the bowl game, but he didn't end up playing in the last three games. 
Um, yeah, three or four. Yeah, and so I think he's you know been basically out for the season. So that like that hurts a lot. <laughs> Would have been a huge deal to to write you know four games ago. Hey, kind of I know is out for the season. We probably would have been like, "Wow, our offense is really going to be in trouble because he's our possession receiver." It's not, you know, maybe you look at one for seventeen on third down conversions against Colorado and say, "Well, yeah, we lost our number one target in those situations." Um, so I think, to some degree, you know, the injuries also can play a factor into this, and we don't get any, any. I'm not advocating for insight into it, but I also think you know, there is to some degree the way that. Uh, Shanahan handles it for the 49ers is very forthright. Just comes up, yep, this guy's hurt, this guy got hurt, this guy got hurt, we'll evaluate, evaluate later and give you an update. And so that way the media knows, like, okay, who is and who isn't going to be available. Um, so it's a little bit less of the guessing game that I think that we have to go through. And so if the staff doesn't want to share that information, that's totally fine. Um, it just sort of leaves us in a position. And then as of guessing, and then I think uh, when you look at the players that are, aren't coming up, or like honestly, like wide receiver, I'm just like I don't even know who we have. Like you just mentioned, Monroe Young and like a walk on. It's just like okay, like we just don't have any depth there. But where we do have depth is at tight end, and why I think Adam said this uh, at the game. It's like why aren't we seeing like Kyle Wells? Like why aren't we seeing Kellen Castles? Like I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, don't really have a good answer. There's got to be like two tight end sets that we could be running that could be effective. Um, and I, we just don't see much of it. So I don't know if that's adapting. I don't know if it's, or it's not adapting to the players that we have. I'm not sure if it's those players. Like they, I trust coaches. They see these players all the time in practice. When I was with the team and uh, uh, with like Kevin Riley, right, who you just mentioned, and I'm going <laughs> to – Hopefully he's not listening. Uh, go through some of his struggles. And there was always the call for Brock Mansion to be starting. There's always a call for, what about Alan Bridgeford, you know, the, the four-star recruit that came in? Well, here's the deal. I'll speak very honestly about this. Alan Bridgeford was super slow. Some of the slowest feet that any of the quarterbacks had ever seen in regards to his footwork. And that was a huge knock. And it did not progress very well because of it. Uh, Brock who is one of the nicest people I've met, just simply wasn't that accurate, and Bo Sweeney was not better than Kevin Riley. And so when you watch these guys practice, it is a lot easier when you're in the practice to say, look, like I know why people fall in love with the backup, but I would always go back to my apartment. My roommates would always ask, well, who's going to be the starter? I was like, it's going to be Kevin Riley. He's the most talented of all of the options. And so it's just one of those things. Like I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's a system thing. Seniors get priority. It's just like a ton of questions and uh, kind of rambling at this point. But, you know, the offensive side of the ball, I think the one way you alleviate some of this frustration is with a with a change that I think will come on its own with, rather than having to address it and with a different talent level or a different type of player. So give me a speed receiver for sure. Give me that tall receiver of the Jordan, v, like the VC vibe. Like VC mold is something we badly miss this year. End zone, red zone threat. That was so important for us. And just give me receivers that can block downfield. Because right now I don't see it. Um, and that I think is killing our, our rushing game. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted it out earlier today or yesterday. I think if we're going to see a change... I feel like we see a change within the next 48 to 72 hours. Um, purely 
and this I am this is a totally unfounded guess, but purely for recruiting reasons. Because if you feel like you're going to have to make this change later, then with early signing day, like that's the big thing is that we have early signing day now. It's not just national signing day. So if we have early signing day now, you don't want your coaches like, you know, out there recruiting guys and them having to commit to the coaches. And then if you, if you drop those coaches later, those recruits might leave, which means that you're going to have to, you're going to have to scramble again towards the end of early signing day. So I, if, if I'm looking at this from a logistical standpoint, it makes sense to make that change now, that way you keep the you keep the assistants or whoever you're going to keep on, and they can start recruiting, and you know keep in contact with the guys that they're already recruiting, and then when the new staff comes in, it's a seamless transition into that rather than we we fire some people right before National Sign Day and they all look elsewhere because they're not connected with, or we don't even have a new staff in place, mm-hmm. so. That's my timeline, I would suspect. I mean, but that's a totally unfounded guess. So when is the early signing day? It's December, like, sometime in the teens, I believe. I'm guessing that it happens after that, but not before. I don't think it'll happen before a bowl game. Wow, okay. Yeah, because I, I think they want to get the guys to early sign. Because um, a lot of the – there's a fair amount of guys – even still that, like, you, you know, we'd want to keep, make sure that are locked in. Um, right, but I'm thinking I'm thinking if those guys commit to those offensive coaches and those offensive, offensive coaches are gone, then if they want out because, you know, that's who they were most connected with, we're not we're not, not going to let them go. Right. Well, here's the thing. So, so but, no, with, uh, yeah, that's true. But, all right, so Brash, quarterback, was Ragel yes. and Tui, and neither of those guys I'd expect to see leave. Um, yeah. About Malik, let's see. Makai Polk is going to be here. I think. I think Makai Polk will stay because he's a local guy. I think he committed more to the to the school and being in, in the Bay Area than he did that. Um. But like, I'm just concerned about like all the wide receivers that we had come in and visit this past weekend, like most likely they're tied to Nick Edwards, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we were to let Nick Edwards go, then we'd have to start building a relationship with them from scratch. And those guys are good wide receivers, but they're some of the top wide receivers that are left on the board. So like, that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm just playing the timeline here. Like you, if you stick with them with this coaching staff that late and then decide, Hey, we're going in another coaching direction and drop them and they want out there's not enough time for the new staff to come in and convince them to stay is, is my, is my thought process. Cause we saw that happen with when Sonny and, and you know, when Sonny left and there was that whole thing with like Najee too, like apparently he was ready to come to us, but we let Sonny go and he was like, all right, I mean, there's no reason for me to stay or, you know, see the new staff cause Alabama's right there. Um, so you, you go that route. Like that's why these kids are taking these visits and, and getting these, these offers and stuff. Like the big one that I'm worried about is a guy like um, Clark, who's arguably one of the best wide receivers in Juco right now. And he'd be able to come in and play for us right away. He's coached by Jeff MacArthur. So we have that plus. See, I'm not that worried about Clark. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I'm not. And I think like the only one, 
I'm seeing right. Uh, Mojaro. Mojaro was recruited by Bo. Makai is Burl Toller and Edwards. Um, and then the other is uh, Malik. Yeah, I'm not worried about. Yeah, Malik I'm not Bradford would be. Uh, yeah. But so, I mean, I, honestly, and the only reason why Edwards is going to leave is because I think Baldwin's going to take him with him. They've been together. Uh, and I think, and ultimately, that's what I see playing out. Like right now, I'd say I'm 90% sure like that's going to that's gonna materialize. Um, and we'll see that rotation. I think Tui will stay. And I think, you know, hopefully Greatwood's around for the long haul because I really think he's super talented. And, uh, and that's the reset. And I think that's the reset that this program needs because otherwise you kind of look at, if we keep everything the same, I'd have to say like seven and five, you know, maybe eight and five of the bull win is kind of the ceiling, which I'm totally fine to take. But it's it's one of those things where you'll start to drive some of the fan base crazy if the offense is gonna be this bad. And the offense being this bad leaves the possibility for regression way higher than if you had an offense where it was slightly better. And then you'd say, Okay, our our floor starts to be that seven win season rather than the ceiling. And so I think that's yeah. that's just one of those things like I if I were Wilcox in his position um, th- those would be the changes that I want to make because it makes me more secure in my own job as well. Uh, so we'll see. We've probably yeah. belabored this point a little bit. Yeah, let's flip to the defense side for a little bit because, you know, this bowl game is going – I mean, we've seen so many – as we said, we've seen so many young guys play. We've seen a lot of the older guys play. And now we're leading into this bowl game, and there's the potential – of this defense also having to reset too. So with that in play, like, as you said, the, the, the percentage chance of regression on the defense is, is also higher as well. I mean, it depends on if guys decide to leave early. Um, but you know, looking at how this defense played this year, and I'm assuming you're going to start hearing some draft boards and stuff and, and guys getting in the spots. Like I, I just don't know if we're going to be able to retain all our all our guys um, and just bring them back next year. Dude, we have so much depth. It's it's just one of those things that doesn't even concern me. I think I looked at the Stanford game and on defense and said, "What do we what do we badly miss? We don't miss linebackers. We don't miss DBs. But one of the things that allowed us to be successful is we were started to blitz a lot more often in the second quarter and then all the way through the third and leave our corners." in DBs out in one-on-one coverage, and they completely shut down one of the hardest offenses to defend against because of the height advantage. Um, and I just thought, like, that's such a point, I mean, of such an advantage for us. And then you look at what's coming. Yes, we're going to lose, you know, potentially, or we're going to lose linebackers. Um, I don't think we'll lose as much on the D-line, and we have some guys coming up on the D-line that'll look, they'll, that can actually have a year's worth of experience, which will be great. But... You know, throwing dang the outside linebacker, number one Juco outside linebacker in the country uh, into this offense. And I think that this, I don't think that KJ Costello has near as much time. And I don't think we have to depend on throwing our DBs out in one-on-one coverage, which makes this defense even more dynamic. The big priority for me in this offseason is maintaining every single person on the defensive staff. I would not change a single thing and just make sure no one leaves. You know, like... Make sure GA's compensated well. 
<laughs> give everyone a pay raise. Give everyone a pay raise. Like I wouldn't change a thing. And then you have all of these backups coming in, and uh, we're going to replace That's... that linebacker. I just think like defensively, I look at this and say, sure, maybe we won't be the twelfth best defense in regards to S and P plus. We'll probably be like the twentieth, the twenty fifth. And, I mean, that's not even considering Cameron Good coming back next year. Right. Yes, exactly. I mean, I just, I just don't have that concern. It just is one of those things that we have so many young guys that we've seen spell, and we have so many guys that have come in this program. Our best recruit last year didn't even see the field. <laughs> he didn't even play because our depth chart at DB is so deep. It's, it's just one of those things that is a blessing. Like maybe at safety will hurt because I think we lose both Hawkins and Davis. So safety will be an interesting area. But I, I just think we have we have such a formula for success and you watch all these videos. It just isn't the same concern for me as, as it is on offense. I think we can reset there the same way Washington does every year. And and that is uh, that is just like music to my ears. Here's the last thing for me that I'll, I'll, I'll say is – you know, we've talked about, like, the players that are playing so well right now, right, on defense and, you know, certainly on offense. The biggest the biggest point for me, you know, as we're wrapping up the season, and we'll have a season wrap-up pod later on, but you know how we've talked about, like, God, like, look at all these defensive players that Sonny had under his, you know, his final year or two. And look at what Wilcox has done with those guys, Right and turn them into guys that are all Pac-12 and, you know, up for All-American awards and, you know, all sorts of, you know, honors all throughout the country. But then you look at the flip side. <laughs> you look at the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of these guys are guys that Sonny recruited under whatever offense that was, which was pretty prolific offense at the time. And we turned that some of those players into and regressed badly. So... I think that's the I think that's the part a lot of Cal like the fan base is slightly upset with is because we know how well Sonny and that staff recruited on the offensive side of the ball and for us to do or for for our offense to regress this badly is I think that's what frustrates people and then added the fact that we're not recruiting you know three or three star or high four star guys to come in and replace that talent but yeah, yeah as you said defensively like. We're recruiting like no other. Like I, we, you and I both, we have no issues with who they've recruited on defense. Like we have no qualms about whether we're reaching on certain prospects or even the depth at any single position. Um, the only position I think my concern is at inside linebacker. If we do lose Jordan and Evan, um, but I mean we'll lose Jordan for sure. But the potential of Evan Weaver going pro early, so. Yeah, that that's the only part. But other than that, like, I feel great about this defense being even more effective next year, um, just because you'll have better talent in the front seven, where you won't necessarily have to blitz another guy, and you can just go like three three men line or four men line and rush the four or the three and have everyone drop back into zone. So yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. so, I mean, the sunny stuff, I just think it's like what a difference coaching makes, right? Good coaches yeah. make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And that you can pinpoint the form. I think the formula for recruiting, people tend to know. Um, I think recruiting is one of those things that's easier to say, 
okay, I can go out and find, you know, Sonny's big plan was I can go out and recruit outside of California and use the brand of Cal and the brand of Cal is strong across the country and bring these guys to California and put together a really prolific and fun offense. And obviously the Wilcox philosophy is win at home and the athletes exist at home. And then, um, and I think ultimately both of those can be successful. I think what is a harder thing to do well is to coach up the players that you have. And on the offense side of the ball, I mean, I think that's why we just got to bring in someone that has a little bit more of a, and, and how, you know, I don't want to say easy, but how pleasant would that job interview be if you were an offensive coach that said, look, like I have a clear idea of what I want to build. This is how I'm going to go out and build it, and I'm going to build it through good coaching. You have the talent. It's just not being utilized in the right way. And I bet there's probably some pretty smart people that can come in and make a pretty convincing case that they could get more output with the talent that we currently have on the offensive side of the ball. Now, it's this coaching staff's responsibility to go out and make sure that the cupboards aren't bare. <laughs> and so that's, I agree with you. I think it all comes back down to, to recruiting. Um, but looking forward, I'm super optimistic on this team. I think like the season was a total success. I said this before, like at, and I think in the stands, it's like, this has been about as much fun as I've had as a Cal fan in a very long time. Uh, we had expectations for the season and the team delivered. We expected them to win eight games. We're going to go into a bowl game with a chance to win our eighth game. In our best season of the Bear Raid offense, we had this season. And we got it in year two. And in my opinion, we're much better set up for success long term because we have so much depth on the defensive side of the football. Uh, and so I don't think we're going to kind of peak up the same way and then go down the same way we kind of did with the Bear Raid. I think it'll be one of these things where we're building these bases. And I meant to say this earlier, like I'm sure there's people out there that say, okay, like why are you guys so excited about a bowl game? It's the cheese it bowl. Who cares? It, it doesn't matter. Um, and that's fair because, you know, in some ways it kind of doesn't. But in my, in my mind, this is why it matters because you look at a program like Utah, pre-Pac-12 when I was with the football team, going down to the Poinsettia Bowl, I look on their equipment bus, and they have every single bowl, bowl win painted onto their equipment bus. It says, with, like, they had something written on the bus. It's like, we win bowls, 9-0. and They had their full record, and they built a reputation on that. They got an invite into the Pac-12, and they were in the Pac-12 championship game this year. I think it builds the foundation for success uh, for a program to go out and be successful and, and get rings. So I'm super excited for this game on the 26th and, and what it means for the program as a whole because I do think it holds a tremendous amount of value for what you try to build um, and what you can sustain as a program. Yeah, I think people also totally underestimate what three weeks worth of extra practices can get you to. And that is, that's huge, in, in, especially in the development of the young guys that will have to step in and play starting next year. 100%. percent yeah. Because it's college football and you have limited time with the players and you have time where you can't talk to your guys and, and all of that's super important. And what Wilcox said is like, it's really interesting. He sort of said uh, and on the radio right after the big game, he's like, yep, we're going to use the first week of practice for bowl week to get a bunch of the young guys that redshirted all, like they'll be playing hard. 
So it's almost like they're going into spring ball with it, with the extra yep. practices. And then they're going to uh, let the guys that have been playing uh, rest their muscles and just do some like uh, conditioning work. And then they'll go and start training for it. So I thought that was like absolutely fascinating, which means basically you just gained an additional week of spring ball and you can get glances. And I'm sure that all of that really matters in regards to recruiting because you could say, okay, here's our list of guys that showed out and have been showing out for this entire fall season. Here are the, the areas that you know we need to go and kind of optimize for. Yep. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks leading into that bowl game um, against the TCU Horn Frogs, which I am, we'll, we'll get into our – we'll have a post on like a hype and you know preview of TCU, but TCU holds a soft, soft spot in my heart just because you know I – grew up a Ladanian Tomlinson fan, so I kind of grew up a pseudo-TCU fan, and I really liked those air raid, weird offense TCU teams. Um, but nonetheless, I am hoping for a Cal victory. So, But, uh, yeah, I guess a couple things just to wrap up is, you know, your your thoughts on just the regular season, and, and then um, we'll pretty much close it out there. Well, just because I... Just kind of already gave him. I'd say, okay, I'd, I'd flip it to you. Um, okay. I wouldn't say anything different than kind of what I just articulated. You know, I had a, a total blast. I thought it was incredibly fun. Um, you know, we beat USC this year. Uh, we beat Washington at you know this year, and who is going to the Rose Bowl? We nearly beat Washington State again. Uh, we had some tough losses in the middle, but we had a team that lost three games in a row and didn't just completely fold and lose nine games for, for the season. So all in all, I think it was just a fantastic foundation for what we can accomplish. And and, and truly, like we're, we're blessed with players that represent our university extremely well. And sometimes I'm kind of scared saying that because you know, now they're, they're a little bit off and kind of bad things can happen when anyone goes home. But I think these guys, for the most part, are really high character, and um, they represent our university really well. And at the end of the day, yeah, I, you know, predicted eight wins, and we still have a shot at it. So I'm, I'm pretty thrilled with where we ended up. I'm sad we lost the big game, but I think bigger things happened this year than really what I expected. Yeah, I guess I pretty much have, that would have to say the same thing. The only thing is, I think. Um, I think the fan base just sometimes, as all fan bases do, get overexcited and overhyped and and builds upon the expectation of what's happening in the now. And that's where we need to keep our expectations in check because this is this is a staff that came in and totally changed the the direction of the program, the, the identity of the program, and just the mentality of the culture itself. And so for us to go from a five and seven season into a seven and five season with the possibility of an eighth win in just year two shows that this staff can grow and, and do things that we didn't think would be possible, you know, like in a year two of a program, like we beat the SC street. doesn't matter how bad SC was that mentality of like that game just looming over you saying, yeah, we haven't beaten these, this program and the guys that have walked through this locker room have not beaten this team for over 15 years. And so for them to be able to do that, like that was a huge positive for them to 
you know, do that thing against Washington, total positive. For them to, to stay in that Washington State game up in Pullman, amazing game. So I think that's the big thing is that you see a lot of people saying, like, if he doesn't fire Baldwin, like, you know, I'm off the Wilcox train. Like, like come on, guys. Like, really? Like, you have a coach who's who's steering the ship in the right direction, and we're still turning. Like, we haven't we haven't left and gone on like the full journey yet. Like we're literally just starting to turn in the right direction and you see glimpses of how good this program can be and how good the team can be under the staff. And for certain reasons, you know, just personnel reasons, you're willing to, to hop off the ship. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So all in all, like in the middle of the season, we thought, Holy crap, like maybe nine wins is really possible. Um, but then again, we saw the shortcomings of our roster and the, the just maybe some of the lack of talent that we have on the offensive side of the ball, and that's what hurt us. And so, if this team, this, this, if this staff can go out and rectify that, then we're getting put in a better place. And we already know what they can do on the defensive side. Let's just see what they do on the offense and see if they can grow into next year. I think. I think the big thing is this might have actually worked in Wilcox's favor, not going and getting like nine or 10 wins. Cause Holy crap. Can you imagine the expectation of the fan base? If we had, <laughs> if we had gone to like, let's say the holiday bowl or the Alamo bowl this year with 10 wins and like, you know, pushed Washington or Washington state for that pac 12 North title. Yeah. My goodness, goodness. The, the burden on his shoulders would have been seriously immense. Like now that we, we end the season with seven and eight or seven or eight wins, you go into next year thinking, all right, that's probably what it is. You know, and even if we have a little bit of a regression on the defense, you know, we can we can still knock out, you know, bowl eligibility wor- worth of wins. So, like the home slate ne- for next year, I mean, this is way early, doesn't look extremely difficult. So, you know, it's it's easily possible that we go undefeated at home and we get those six wins. But yeah, that is that is a, that is a analysis for another time. Yeah, our not, our out of conference schedule next year is is much easier than it's than it's been, and so yeah. I think I already was looking at it. I think the path to six wins next year is is pretty. Uh, I don't I want to say pretty. it's it's just doable. <laughs> um, it's doable, but it's very home based. But the path to nine or ten is a lot harder. Because it's very difficult. Utah in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, any other closing thoughts on the big game for you, Andy? That's it. Bum, we lost. But also, you know, move it to the last game of the year every year. It was great having that back. That should be a permanent thing. Uh, other than that, college football should move to an 18 playoff. I'm going to start my Twitter push on that one. And ex- at least six. At least six. No, give me I'm eight. All... Just do eight. Just five conference champions plus three at large bids. That's just two. knowing. But That's knowing it. the NCAA, they're not going to jump from four to eight. Like they're going to take the the tiniest baby steps possible. So I see them going. To, I could easily see them going to six and just going. All right, number one and two, you get to buy the first week. They're so bad at solving problems that it doesn't solve anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, anyways, we. You remember how long same... it took. It, it's like we would have the same problems that exist today if we moved to that setup. Yep, but so. it's the NCAA. There's, we don't have anything. They, they don't have anything. <laughs> they have no idea. That's all. Oh, boy. Yep. Onwards, All right, TCU. well, that wraps it up for us. We will have a 
uh, preview pod of the bowl game, the Cheez-It Bowl against TCU on December 26th. We will have a post-game pod of the TCU game and then also potentially a maybe a season wrap-up where we bring Trace back and we listen to our, our season preview pod and then yes. discuss about what we what – we, Has to happen. Yeah, I think that has to happen. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.